Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. May the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devils, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Для Тебя зажигаются, Господи. Тысячи слов для Тебя, как молитва звучат. В храме Твоем оживают сердца наши, Господи. И от земли на Тебя Благословляя наш путь. 
Matthew chapter 25, starting from verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No, lest there should not be enough for us in you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so in this proverb there is a specific command that the preparation for rapture will be followed by a certain signs that are expressed in this proverb as the news that the groom is coming which will be accepted by the ten uh, ten virgins the same the criteria for preparation to rapture will be burning lamps by which we are referring to a spirit born of God burning brightly that has been cleansed from dead works because uh, a lamp cannot burn if it has not been cleansed of dead works. The spirit of a man is a lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Proverbs 20, verse 27. We are talking about the conscience of a person that, that tests the depths of the heart, and it can test only when it has been cleansed of dead works, only when in her is placed the reigning teaching of Christ. 
Therefore, in another place in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 9, it says that the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Putting out of the lamp is signifies death. The spirit of a person dies to God. The putting out of the lamp of the wicked is a loss of life in God that points to the loss of the ability to test the depths of your heart and be vigilant in prayer in order to stand watch at the door of your heart from the penetration of an evil thought. Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 through 16 says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We already know that to be cold is to be dead to sin, whereas to be hot is to be alive to God. Whereas to be lukewarm is to be tolerant to, towards sin and to all kinds of evil company. Amid a burning lamp that yields in our heart the holiness of truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to test and to study the depths of our own heart. However, at the moment of awakening, it will be found that for a certain a certain amount of a category of saints in their lamps, instead of um, instead of their lamps being burning, they will die out. Because of which, among this category, there will be a panic. There will not be panic among the wicked. Among people who are holy, there is a panic that begins, that they are going to try to justify. Um, they're going to be answered so that there shall be not a lack in you and us go to the seller and go purchase for yourselves from this answer it becomes known that gaining oil is tied to a certain price that was necessary to pay to the one who sold the oil in time under oil in scripture we know is the image of two instances that stand before the God of all the earth. This is the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, oil symbolizes the commanding Word of God, which is anointed by the Holy Spirit to the preached Word of the messengers of God. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And he said to me, the angel who showed the vision to Zechariah, What do you see? So I said, I am looking. There is a lampstand of a solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. So this uh, this bowl, uh, so that as soon as the lamp burns out, this bowl could contain this oil that could fill the lamp. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by power, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word that is is that is met with the power of the Holy Spirit. We must never miss out on this moment that it's possible to accept the Holy Spirit but at the same time refuse to be led by the Holy Spirit due to our unacceptance of the commandments of Christ in that form in which He had preached them. Because the Holy Spirit expresses His activity only in the limits of the correctly understood and fulfilled commandments of God. If the commandments of the Lord somehow are not accepted 
or are distorted, then this will instead be an atmosphere for the activity of the spirit of delusion. The seven the seven lamps, or the seven pipes to the seven lamps, are the sellers or who are the saints that are part of the fivefold ministry through whom God sends us his anointed word. And in order to accept this word in the format of oil into the a vessel of our heart, it's necessary to pay a price. First, it is necessary to accept the seller of the word. If we desire to use the word at the same time, we do not accept the person through whom this word is sent to us, it will never transform into oil in our vessels. The condition for acknowledging, for accepting the seller is an inner honor and dedication of oneself, first to the Lord and then to the seller. And the other end, this is offering God tithes and offerings for His full control. When we give what is holy unto the Lord to the control of the seller, uh, we bless God in the face of the seller, and therefore we receive the right to meet with Christ. For I say to you, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, it says, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So blessed is the person who has been sent by God. He who comes in the name of the Lord are anointed by God, sent by God, and appointed by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4-5, through 5, Apostle Paul writes about the Macedonians, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, in tithes and offerings, a person gives himself first to the Lord and then to his messengers. And it's written that he gives himself according to the will of God, by the will of God. It doesn't mean that the messengers of God can say whatever they wish and saints must listen to them. They must listen to them if they speak according to the will of God by the will of God and the word of God. When a person begins to make up and begins to establish some kinds of new rules and laws, calling sin that which is not sin, and on the contrary, not calling sin that which is sin, then this means that he must not be listened to any longer. God will sooner or later deal with this anointed one, just as he had dealt with Saul. Usually these kind of anointed men are anointed men whom God had uh, God had appointed in his anger and then had denied them. Because people oftentimes refuse for God to... Um, lead them through messengers he has appointed and they instead want to choose those who will flatter their ears and God allows these things to happen but then God in anger he rejects these people therefore all people whom have been chosen by way of vote voting will be rejected by God that's why a certain moment will come and these people go onto so-called retirement. Can you imagine how can an anointed man of God, a father, stop being a father? How can he go into retirement? Imagine your father. When he is retired, he stops being your father, and now he says, now you will have another father. 
This doesn't happen. We see that according to scripture, a father remained a father until his death. And only after his death, the next person would come to represent the fatherhood of God. And this was the firstborn in, this, in the family who had to represent the authority of his father. When the father died, the authority went to the firstborn over all the children. Today we will serve God in tithes and offerings. We will honor him and acknowledge his authority over us and express our love toward him. We will sing together. And we will fully comprehend that this is a moment with, in which we can, with dignity, cut the root of all good. Because the love for money is the root of all evil, and the root of all good is authority over money. Therefore, let the Lord bless us, let us honor Him, worship Him, let us stand. And therefore, I will gladly remind you that each time when the people of Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses, which he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And so, according to your word, I ask you, right now, May your heavenly windows be opened, and may your windows be opened abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Ношу свое сердце, как хрупкую вазу, Ненароком споткнешься и в дребезги жизнь, Чтобы я на пути не споткнулся ни разу, Чей-то голос гряди, Иисуса не жизнь. Чтоб я на пути не споткнулся ни разу, Чей-то голос верди, Иисуса держи. То ли друг засвистят ледяные 
просто весной заволнуются ели. Чей-то голос твердит, Иисуса держись. Простираются вдаль бесконечные версты. Хорошо бы навеки туда унесись, Где живется легко и свободно, и просто. Только голос твердит, Иисуса держись. Где живется легко и свободно, и просто. Иисуса держись, а порой надо мной судьба посмеется, я плачу ночами, о счастье вернись, и полынная горечь мне в душу прольется, но в ответ лишь одно. Иисуса, Когда в тишине о любви размышляю, Кто-то шепчет опять у креста научись. И тогда я свой взор на креста поднимаю И твержу сам себе, Иисуса держи. Тогда я свой взор на креста поднимаю И твержу сам себе, Иисуса держись Я ношу свое сердце, как рубкую базу Ненароком споткнешься и прелесть на пути не споткнулся ни разу, Чей-то голос твердит, Иисуса держись, Чтобы ты на пути не споткнулся ни разу. Иисус говорит, я с тобою, Oh, oh, oh. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to have depth that is unseen and the things that are still unfamiliar. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. To be as perfect, so perfect, to command your son to rise over the evil and good and send your reign over the just and unjust that will very, very differently affect the one and the other as it, it is with the Heavenly Father. He loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And so when he sends his reign and his son on the, upon the righteous, this is a blessing and good that God blesses his righteous with. But when he sends his reign and his son upon the unrighteous, this is vengeance and curses. This, his clouds, he commands them to go to do good or to punish those who do not want to be obedient to the preached word of the kingdom. And so linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God, as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebekah to Isaac, and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebekah presented these signs in the virtues of the Lily of the Valley, upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith, as Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field, the process of life that flows through this lily so that you may form yourself into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of your heavenly Father. And for this purpose, Rebekah left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into perfection in Christ Jesus. We note that in our situation, Eleazar means help. He's the Holy Spirit. I will send him. He will help. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. Here we clearly see that people who are not led by the Spirit of God, they lose the right to be called sons of God. With all this, we note that specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of our Lord, of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him strength to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires. This is the essence of sanctification, to leave your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. And so any other form of sanctification that today is offered to the church is a heresy if it in some way is changed. If someone says you have sins and even tell you what sins you have, 
Uh, this is definitely not of the Lord. These people generally are filled with their own sins that they are trying to ascribe to you. God would not want to reveal the sins of a man. He doesn't do such things. He reveals the sins of the world, but not his own children, because they have the Urim, they have the Thummim, they have the truth. They want for themselves to reveal this. And so, never in the movement of the church God, the Holy Spirit will come and say, you have this sin, you have this sin, and you have this sin. He will never do this. He will teach you, he will correct you, he will comfort you. The world, he will correct. And so our conscience corrects us because we put the word of God into it. We read the word of God. It corrects us. The word of the pastor may be, may be a correction, but when it comes from the pastor, he doesn't say or announce specifically the name of someone and reveal their sins that this person, <coughs> but the te in teaching, a person discovers uh, that things he thought once were not a sin are actually a sin and changes and fixes those things. So we have the unique ability to, in re when receiving the Holy Spirit, to receive Him in the form of our Lord and Master, to receive in Him and, and from Him and in Him strength to perform a complete separation, to sanctify ourselves, to then in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest, and continue to remain in the dependence of our nation, our house, and our corrupt desires because a guest is not a master of a house and so if the Holy Spirit <coughs> is a guest then he will never be a master or for me specifically I had decided to remove my own uh, my own ownership or my own uh, my own ownership and gave that to the Holy Spirit gave that power to the Holy Spirit to receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a Lord and master of your house your life is a privilege a person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit or to follow after him him to perfection in Jesus Christ and in result will lose his sonhood that is his salvation the church where I grew up the Pentecostal church there this place it was interpreted those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God they said those who speak in tongues and all the Christians all denominations where uh, the speaking in tongues is not preached or taught are Gentiles and you don't need to speak with them or call them Christians these are nobodies how they were teaching and so when I began to tell them being even a young man that it's not written here that way as you were explaining it just the spirit how can they be led by the spirit of God if they're not baptized by the Holy Spirit they ask and I said well Truly, how can they be led by the Spirit of God if they're not baptized by the Holy Spirit? But I asked them, are you baptized? And they say, yes. And I said, baptism means separation from your nation, your house. 
and with your separate from yourself, sanctify. You're, you are not separated from your house, your nation, your house. Yeah, the Holy Spirit came to you, but as a guest and gave you as a gave you gifts as Eleazar did to Laban and Bethuel, but the baptism was experienced only by Rebecca. She was the only one who followed him. During baptism, we received the unique ability to either be a baptism uh, or he become the Lord and Master of our life or that he just be a temporary guest that we receive gifts from and actually st only will stay upon those who uh, received him as their Lord. Those will be the ones who experienced a real baptism. We more than once noted that in accordance to Scripture, a person can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift and at the same time remain a person of the flesh not having the Spirit and will resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. These are words that Apostle, Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Corinth who practiced gifts of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. But he told them, I can speak to you as people that are spiritual. You are of the flesh, not having the Spirit. And if you will not move into a new category, new quality, and will not submerge into the death of this baptism and die for your nation, your house, and your and your life, your desires, uh, you need to put to death the uh, members that are uh, all these services of the flesh. But people, instead of uh, d trying to remove, eliminate these things, they try to actually uh, practice them or, or to uh, strengthen them. And so people say, well, you're possessed with a demon if there is any kind of sin. This is not a possession. This is the program of sin that is working in us. It was passed down to us since we were born. and we, But we receive a unique program, a different program that begins to eliminate this one when we look at the lily, when we look at the uh, crows, when you look at the, the promises of God, when we look at Abraham and Sarah, the unseen promises God has, we begin to blot out this uh, sinful program from, our, from ourselves. And so speaking in tongues and practice, practicing spiritual gifts is a spiritual experience, but it is not called to make us spiritual, and it is not called to change our character that is in, uh, inherited from the life of our fathers into the character of Christ. To change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ. It contains the teaching of Jesus Christ. It is called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ. As because uh, this it isn't happening in the cross of Christ. This is happening uh, our, when we collaborate our cross with the cross of Christ. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Uh, Jesus has his, his cross, we have ours. He had one purpose, we, had a, we have a different purpose. And we stopped to study the question, by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit? And such signs are to be fruits of resurrection in the fruits of the tree of life. Because when the cross works, then after the cross, the fruit of resurrection comes. That bears fruit 12 times each month which is called to be the kingdom of heaven within our heart. And it's also the key that opens up the path to the tree of life. The cross 
is the key to the tree of life. And it, this cross is presented in the 12 pearly gates that reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. Collaborating our cross with his cross is abiding in his trials. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, Luke 22, 28-30. The kingdom of heaven is the church of Jesus Christ on earth. You shall eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Many people are <coughs> sit on pews. They're not even in the kingdom of heaven or understand it. Some drink at the table in the kingdom and others who sit next to them complain and say, well, how can I understand this? What does this all mean? Some are in the kingdom and they have it, but others, they don't know where they are. They think of themselves there in the kingdom that they have it there, but they're continually uh, complaining and they don't have peace in their heart. This is wrong and this is wrong and everything's wrong. And so the kingdom of heaven, which we see as the inheritance of eternal life, is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times, giving its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. In heaven there will not be sicknesses, so there this will not be necessary. Leaves of the tree will not be necessary. The church of Jesus Christ on earth, it will bear fruit to God and will be nourished by the same fruits, and the leaves of the trees will be for the healing of the nations. The leaves, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, their life that they have, they will heal people with their presence, with their uh, behavior. The 12 months of the Holy Year, where the tree of life yields its fruit each month, are the fruits of resurrection or the fruits of righteousness that we have been studying in the feasts and the signs that happened within each month of the Holy Year to be able to understand what fruit we need to bear in these 12 months. In a particular format, we together have already looked at the fruit of our spirit presented in the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that were able to be yielded within the first new three, uh, new three months of the holy year and have been studying the first or the fruit of the spirit symbolizing the fruit of the tree of life in the new fourth month of the holy year. And this was the month of Tammuz, so we can be in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. In Israel, in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz, the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses. In Israel, the days of the fast were considered the days of demonstration of sorrow, where a person hungered his body and in the time of prayer spread out under himself sackcloth and ashes to show God his sorrow and the humility of his soul. But God decided to replace the essence of the fast. Here's what it says in Isaiah 58, 5. It is a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. It is to bow down his head like a... Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? <coughs> God, in a vision, because of his grace, <coughs> God, by the means of his activating his grace, intended on changing in root the consistency and atmosphere of the fast from sorrow to gladness and cheer.
So in the fast, he already would rejoice and see victory. A person who fasted before <coughs> would fast in sorrow and and thought maybe God will see my sorrow and show me mercy but here in grace all is decided and victory is completed all sicknesses have been destroyed all enemies have been destroyed upon the cross Jesus took all of this upon himself and so in the fast a person fasts differently Jesus said when you fast put oil on your head and may your face not be sad but rejoice before the Lord your God Zechariah 8:18-19. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. <coughs> If we're going to love truth and peace, then truth and peace are in the grace of God. This is grace, that is truth and peace. When it shall reign within our heart, then the fast that we will be fasting will become a joy and gladness for us. And so in this situation that the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant happens specifically in the 17th day of the fourth month, it is enough to count back 40 days from the 17th day of the fourth month because Moses was 40 days on the mountain and then he came down and, and descended and he breaks the tablets and so count back 40 days you will come to the seventh day of the third month this was the day of the new moon when Moses went up on Mount Sinai this is written in Exodus 19, 1 through 4. In the third month, after, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day of the new moon, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidah, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so he taught them to fly in the wilderness. This wilderness, 40 years, they were learning to fly. Not to crawl upon the ground, but to fly in the air. And so the new moon of the third month, what does it mean when Moses went up? This is a symbol of birth of the new person created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth. The moon is always a symbol of the church, and the new moon is means a new birth or a new creation in Jesus Christ. Forty days within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments of His covenant with the nation of Israel is a symbol of the state of spiritual childhood. The breaking of the two tablets of the covenant was a mark of coming out or exiting out of this position of spiritual childhood into spiritual maturity, where we also see the days of purification finished. Until a person is in spiritual childhood, the law has impact upon him not the <coughs> and not grace. In accordance with the law, only after the days of purification were finished, on the 40th, 40th day, was the male child able to be presented before the Lord to be dedicated to him. A child cannot be 
cannot dedicate himself to the Lord immediately, physically. This dedication will happen later, when he will come out of the position of spiritual childhood. Now when the days of her purification, it's talking about Jesus, he as a child, as a person who was born, and only on the 40th, 40th day was he dedicated to the Lord. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Luke 2, 23 In Scripture, a symbol of purification is a symbol of justification, that a person is able to receive freely by grace in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In this fourth month, those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of the wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the start of the summer heat. <clears throat> Upon practice, each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately was the harvest of some kind of sowing. We have been studying the 40th day in which the day of purification were completed that were marked by the breaking of the two tablets of covenant. We see the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Colossians 2.11 through 15 In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised, from, who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven given you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, over them in it. And so justification, justification is received uh, if you don't have the correct relationship with your pastor of your church and you're shouting that you're justified, you're not justified because justification comes through God's delegated people. If it's not, if you are not established in that, then you're not justified. So if a man will not bear fruits of the new fourth month <coughs> that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant so that he can have evidence of the fact that he and Jesus Christ by the law of Moses died for the law of Moses so he can live for God and live by God, then he will forever lose the salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. Galatians 2.19.20 For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. If a person by the law will not die by the law, he will not be able to live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live. <clears throat> and so you die for the law when the two tablets are broken. I've, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the result that comes from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. This is one law giving power to sin, and the other law taking power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly, and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence nature of God, as well as His holy, good, and unchanging goals. 
And heir is no different than a servant until he grows up. A person is born from God, born again, while he's a child, spiritual child, he's a servant, and the law of Moses affects him, but the law of grace does not yet affect him. And so, before we die by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin, so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <coughs> James 1.18, first fruit is to be the beginning of his creation. The first fruit is the same word. Sometimes first fruit is considered sometimes as some kind of beginning. But this is also to be as in the in the in the position of governing. Only born from the seed of the word of truth, we, can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a confirmation of the previously received justification, which is in the form of fruit. And so the seal, the fruit is the seal that you receive, the seal to the justification you have. As these, there exists a great difference between the seed of justification by how we are born from God and the fruits of, and the fruits of this very seed, where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and receives confirmation of this right, righteousness. To bear by the tree of life the fruit of the fourth new month that is demonstrated within the heart of a man as the kingdom of heaven that has come in power, identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant establishing our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness, it was necessary for us to look at four classical questions. What is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come? And what is justification? Also, what characteristics do the scriptures give the word righteousness, justification, and righteous? What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself in person and through a person? What conditions or requirements are supposed to be fulfilled to receive justification and to dress to be dressed into righteousness? Because justification is the state, and righteousness is an expression of that state. If there's not an expression of that state, then our justification is under question. But what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit? the tree of life that bears the fruits of the fourth month which is the fruit of righteousness we note that the entomology of words righteousness justification right and righteous contain a sufficiently rich and multiple meaning semantics as these words are a revelation of who God is and what God has done for us as well as what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us and so the word righteousness in scripture means holiness, the law, covenant, justification. Righteousness is lawfulness, fairness. Righteousness is commandment, statute, and regulation that are written in scripture. Righteousness is judgment, justice, and fairness. 
Righteousness is directness, faithfulness, and truthfulness. Righteousness is constance, continuation, and immutability. Truthfulness, truth, wisdom, also the light of life. Righteousness is honesty, sincerity, and purity of the character of God. Righteousness is the resurrection of life, the liberty of Christ. And, and more and more, you can add more to these. Of course, justification is eternal redemption, being purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin taken into the personal belonging and lot of God. This is adoption, resurrection from the dead. The word righteous belongs not just to God, but to man also. This is one who is holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath, not bounded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God relying and trusting in God, one who is pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. This is righteous. Righteousness is hope and trust in God. When we hope and trust in God, then this is an expression of our righteousness faith that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him peace with righteousness is peace with God based upon the covenant with God righteousness is sanctification continual sanctification of your dedication righteousness is a complete observation of the justice of God righteousness is an expression of holiness and performing God's justice Righteousness is expressing upright joy, continual expression of upright joy. Righteousness is offering to God a sacrifice of praise. Righteousness is honoring God with tithes and offerings. This is not a payment of tithes. This is honoring God with your tithes. Remove this word that offends the Lord. I pay my tithe. I honor the Lord with my tithe, not pay. You don't pay anything. It's not yours. It's in your possession, in it, but it does not belong to you. And when you say that you're paying, and this way you say that this is mine, <clears throat> but when you say, I honor him, <clears throat> you accept that it's in your possession, but you give it to the Lord. Righteousness is revealing virtue in your faith. And of course, all these virtues are, it goes virtue that goes also brotherly kindness and all the rest of the uh, uh, nine uh, fruits. Looking at this, truth be told, multifaceted, multi-meaning and multifunctional statement in defining righteousness and justification, we've made a note that the scriptures consider all of these terms in regards to man legitimate and lawful exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification that belongs to the new covenant. In the service of the Old Testament, these terms would be Ill uh, illegitimate. 
or unlawful, a person will never be righteous because no one was able to be righteous by the law. The service of justification is based on and established upon the law of grace that is contrary to the service of condemnation, which we see as in the law of Moses. If in the service of condemnation the format of the law of Moses carved upon the stone tablets and written by God were given to the sinful and lawless man and in result gave power to sin and condemned it, a person to death, power to sin is the law. Following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, new tablets of the covenant were carved written now not by God but by man. This symbolizes the opening or revealing of righteousness in the heart of a man where a person is able to perform the justice of God in accordance to the written statutes. Considering the fact that justification that a man received in the two broken tablets of the covenant, the symbol of the new tablets that were carved and written by man upon the tablets of his heart <coughs> was unable to condemn the righteousness of God and man and actually gave the justified man power to be a minister of the new covenant to perform the righteousness of God. Here's what Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 6-11 who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, it's talking about the law of Moses that killed, and written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. That is temporary. Again, this glory was temporary. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains, in, remains is much more glorious. And so according to the given place of Scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace that arose from the two broken tablets became in the new tablets of the covenant that represents an, a new heart, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The righteous man became, according to Scripture, a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace, living by the law of grace, and not sinning against the law of grace that is not peddling or damaging the truth within his heart. <clears throat> and so a person oftentimes uh, damages or peddles with the goals of God to benefit his flesh. Considering that the righteousness, righteousness identifies and finds, it, finds itself in holy truth, it was necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from this root. Based upon the definitions in Scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth or holy truth. It is the root of righteousness and bears righteousness. <clears throat> At the same time, the unity of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness. Just as the Father reveals himself in his Son or as the seed reveals itself in the fruit. Therefore, holy truth is the determination of the state of the human heart. At the same time, holy righteousness is the expression of the state that is contained in holy truth. Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is, the root of holy truth or the holy word of truth that is written in Scripture. 
considering that the righteousness of God is first of all the judgment of God or the justice of God, <clears throat> that is the determination of good and evil and separation of good from evil, we in a particular format in part have already looked at the specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man and we have noted that the judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets of the covenant is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that in nature is the holy wellspring, holy root and holy foundation for the judging of all righteousness. Psalm 119.160 The entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. We note that when talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God, we need to always remember that firstly, that this truth is always to be understood as holy truth and that it identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God because God by his eternal, unchanging and immeasurable nature and natural essence is firstly everlastingly holy. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly always a holy righteousness, eternal, unchanging, and unconditional. The word holy first belongs to God, and only after to those who are born from Him. All the children of God that are born from Him are holy in their beginnings, in their genesis. You don't need to now do something in order to become righteous or to become holy. You can't become holy. You need to be born holy. And the essence of the love of God is that He is eternally separated from evil and not a part of any kind of e evil. His love is a selective love. His love is first a holy love and then a selective love. And so if it's holy, it is separated. And so if it's separated, then it is selective. It's seeking who to love. Just as a young person from the multitude of the different young women, he chooses one. Or as a young lady from the many men, many uh from the many men uh, chooses one or finds one. God is seeking one who worships him. He is full of love and is seeking who to love. And he says, this is the one that I will love, one who worships in spirit and in truth. And so God, therefore God is a priori, he is not able to love that which is in its beginnings, which in its beginnings is not holy. His holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with, a, with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginnings and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis and beginnings. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. It's talking about Jesus who loved righteousness and hated wickedness.
Jesus gave him his life for the church to sanctify her with pure waters so that she be holy and upright before him in, in love. He didn't love everyone. He also has a selective love. He loved those who hate wickedness and lawlessness and suffers from sin and wants to be free from it and uh, accepts the conditions and of God and his justification. Righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs that out of a programmable system that is a person or an angel are unable to reveal themselves or function. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels together with those men and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position, also men who did not accept the love of truth and defiled the temple of their spirit, are vessels of this son, his son scorching and powerful wrath. At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and the lawless, are vessels of his mercy. As it is written, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that we might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles Romans 9.22-24 in a specific form as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith we have already looked at the personified essence of the righteousness of God that is the Heavenly Father the Son of God and the Holy Spirit as well as the holy people in the format of their justification, and stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. What goals does the righteousness of God within, the, within our heart are called what goals does the righteousness of God within our heart call to pursue? In the, previous, in the previous service, we began to study one important factor in the purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man, received by man in the two broken tablets and established in the two new tablets of the heart, the factor is that the righteousness of the heart is called to give man the right to rejoice in the Lord and praise the Lord. Psalm 33, 1 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. In this psalm, we came to the conclusion in what way are the righteous required to rejoice about the Lord? How are they to rejoice about the Lord? First, the righteous, as we understood, are called to praise God with harp and make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings, singing to Him a new song. The righteous are called to praise God, singing with a new song, with a harp and instrument of ten strings, skillfully and with a shout of joy. Third, the consistency of the new song needs to be with the revealed righteousness of God, obtained in the two broken tablets of the covenant, where God reveals, revealed in His righteousness and judgment, love, which is for the righteous, the mercy of the Lord that fills all the earth, and for the unclean and unfaithful to reveal the power of his destructive wrath Le looking at the given to us command and conditions of praise we came to the conclusion that the righteous man is a new man created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth a new song is the truth about the blood of Christ that is contained within the boundaries of the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh harp 
is a stringed musical instrument made up of seven strings. The number seven that is presented in the seventh string musical instrument in the heart of a new person or new man. <coughs> These, of course, are symbolic upon which we are to praise God. This is our un unity of heart and unity of mind. That is what the harp is within our heart. Harp, this is one heart and one mind with the holy people. The harp as a seven-string musical instrument upon which we are called to praise God with a new song is our like-mindedness again and with all the saints. The instrument of ten strings is righteousness in the format of the holiness of God contained within the heart of a person in the Ten Commandments that became the root system from which God, by the means of the broken tablets, erected from the new tablets in the heart of a man his justification. The next purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man pursues the goal of singing a new song upon the harp and upon the instrument of ten strings skillfully with a shout of joy. To sing skillfully is to sing harmoniously, which means regulate the strength of your voice in a way so that you can hear the voice of the other, which will allow your voice to blend with the other voices as one. This is in the real world. In spirit, this means not to be prideful and to show humility. In humility, a person behaves uh, in a way to hear the need of the other person, not to interrupt this person with your righteousness. Sing with a shout of joy is the right to reign over the nations and sit upon his holy throne. Is the right for God to reign over the nations and sit upon his holy throne, which is the heart of the righteous man that in its beginning or genesis in nature is like the Heavenly Father. The word of the Lord being right in your praise is called to show itself in the dis disclosure of judgments which are done or spoken from the position of the throne of God. This throne is the heart of a righteous man. The essence of the disclosed, disclosed judgments satisfying the wrath of God are the prayers of the righteous men expressing the will of God in the seven last plagues and the seven golden bowls of the wrath of God. These are the prayers of, of the saints. Revelation 15, 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. This is the church of God, the head of those whom God has placed. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing in the sea of glass, having harps of God. They say, the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven Seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four, we once we had studied this place of scripture. If you remember, the angels of God, they don't have the uh, linen garments because linen garments are a symbol of death and resurrection. Linen is the seed, the, the, this is of the seed that grows, and of course the garments are made. 
and the priests wore them in the temple. And so angels were not able, they were not redeemed by God to wear those garments. The right to wear the garments is for the redeemed by God. This is a parable. And so the fact that it says here that they're dressed in linen, it means that what we establish here on earth, it is established in heaven. God takes our words, our prayers, and takes them directly to heaven. And from them, from there, they are then do its work. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony from where the seven angels came out, who were given the seven golden uh, bowls of, of God's wrath, filled with the seven last plagues, is the praise of the saints confessing the faith of their heart. Therefore, the purpose of praise, presenting evidence of the righteousness of the heart of a man, received by him the two broken tablets and established in the new tablets of the heart, are directed for the purpose of, so that the Mount, so that Mount Zion, which are God's chosen people, or his remainder, can rejoice, and so that the daughters of Judah, who are also Mount Zion, could be glad because of God's judgments done by God by the means of their praise. Psalm 48, 10, 11. Here's what Prophet David said about the Church of God. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Further, the purpose of the righteousness within the heart of a man received by him the two broken tablets of the covenant and established in the new tablets of the heart is to lead the righteous into eternal life but to those who pursue evil lead to eternal death into the lake of fire. <clears throat> Proverbs 11:19. As righteousness leads to life so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. As righteousness leads to life, this means that this righteousness will lead the one who strives to do evil to his death. Righteous will take part, uh, well, will impact or have effect on those to the evil to then reap what they've sown. Looking at this place of scripture, we should understand that pursuing good is pursuing righteousness in Christ Jesus that leads us to eternal life, that it is contained in the new tablets of the covenant identifying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the same time, pursuing evil is pursuing righteousness out of Christ that leads a person to the second death which will determine then his, this person's future out of Christ and his resurrection. Therefore, the purpose of righteousness is the is to reveal the results of the silver of salvation which we have turned or invested that we received in justification. From this we can see that justification in the format of the received by a salvation by faith leads us to the righteousness by death, uh, to righteousness by death in the two broken tablets where we die for our nation, our house, and our soul. The purpose of righteousness in the heart of a man received by him in the broken tablets of the covenant and established in the new tablets of his new heart has the following purpose, to give his servant the ability by the broken tablets of the covenant in the heart of this man establish justice on earth where he does not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. 
and shall bring forth justice for truth till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Isaiah 42, 1-4 Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Let us remember, understandably, we see that all of this work on the earth that God said he would accomplish by Son Jesus Christ can be accomplished only by the righteous man in whom Christ lives. Jesus will not be able to do anything without his church. He came here to make her uh, to do it with her but it's written here that he God through Jesus will do but yes Jesus overcame tens of thousands and saw thousands but we know their armies actually overcame or were victorious we know it wasn't just David or just Saul it, were, it was their armies who did God places it ahead, at the head, at the top, the, the name that is head, or Jesus Christ. But the judgments that will be done will be done through or by His people. And so only the one who is righteous in whom Christ lives in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the man who lives in Christ in the presence of the very same Holy Spirit. It is good to remind us that when Christ is Christ in the face of the Holy Spirit abides within us, we are responsible to present his interests on earth and heaven and hell. When we abide in Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, then he carries full responsibility for presenting our interests on earth, in heaven, and hell. Considering when a person abides in Christ and Christ abides in him, then his intentions and goals will always be focused upon exclusively to fulfill the will of God within its three states, good, acceptable, and perfect. Therefore, if a person says that he performs the righteousness of God, but is unable to examine himself on who he is in Jesus Christ and who Christ is in his heart, then this person will not be able to understand how to perform God's righteousness or proclaim his judgments. Therefore, this person's, under, person under, person's understanding of his righteousness before God and his salvation will be under serious question. And to examine ourselves regarding the component of righteousness as well as the component of the works, of righteousness and the proclamation to uh, to the nations, the judgments of God, we firstly need to look at four signs of righteousness given to, in the following prophecy, and that is that the Lord upholds us by our right hand, that we are elected by God from the multitude of the call to salvation, that the soul of God delights in us, and that God has put his spirit upon us. Here it says that all God placed all of this upon Christ, but Christ will be doing all of this through us, and so we need to determine, understand, do we have these uh, qualities of righteousness and only after which we can give definition to the works of righteousness by which we are, we are called to perform our righteousness in proclaiming the judgments of God. And the first sign of character in which our righteousness is called to proclaim the justice of God will consist in the fact that we will not cry out or raise our voice or cause our voice to be heard in the street. 
This will, our righteousness will be revealed in this. A bruised reed we will not break, and smoking flax we will not quench. We will bring forth justice for truth. We will not fail nor be discouraged till we have established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Not the whole earth and all continents, but only coastlands, the holy nation of God. That's what the coastlands mean. And so first we will pay our attention to identifying the signs of righteousness given in this prophecy. First question, identifying the sign of our righteousness by having this right hand by which the Lord would be able to uphold us. What definitions are provided in Scripture regarding good God upholding us by our right hand? According to the principle implemented by God in Scripture, any level of relationship man has with God is always the conscious willing and desired collaboration of a man with God. So the initiative of the given collaboration completely and always depends on the choice and decision of a man. In other words, God cannot hold a person by the hand if this person will not take his hand. The initiative is Uh, a person's because in accordance to God's given law regarding his relationship with a man God can uphold a man by his hand firstly with the agreement of the man himself and second only upon the conditions of righteousness implemented by God Genesis 1.26 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the earth here God immediately has uh, identified his intentions to man he made him sovereign and has uh, limited his ability to do work on earth until a man on earth gives him the opportunity to do so. God will not do it until a person himself allows him to do this. To confirm this truth, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, it is not God who does it first. God has done everything. Draw near to God first, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. God knocks not into every door. He knocks into the door where there is a latch through which he can stretch his hand. The latch of the door, we talked about, this is a symbol of a person that has presented himself a living sacrifice acceptable for his good service. When God sees a person has offered himself, then he comes and knocks to him by the latch of the door so that this person can open his door to him and allow him to enter as Lord and Master of his life. Not every person understands that and does it, and not everyone's ready to pay the appropriate price for it. So that God would be able to uphold us by the right hand, it is necessary that in any situation or obstacle to be on the side of the interests of God, which means behave towards all and regarding all as God behaves. 
not as I think or my sympathies are or whatever else it may be, but how God would behave in this situation. Sometimes we have a sympathy towards a person that God had lost sympathy for a long time ago. This person has separated from God or God as God no longer has any connection to, but we are still sympathizing with them. Psalm 73, 23, 24, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. According to the given place of Scripture, God upholds a man by his right hand by the means of his urim, identified as his counsel or his revelation. Therefore, the right hand of a man is the fruit of righteousness grown by a person by the collaboration of the thummim that abides within his heart with the revelation of the urim. Further, if a person has not placed the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh into his heart, which is identified as the Thummim, and has not accepted the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of his life, that in our heart serves as the revelation of the Urim, to the mystery of truth contained in the Thummim, then God has not has not no ability to uphold this person by his right hand. <clears throat> he does not have a right hand to hold. The right hand is a symbol of righteousness. By the words of Christ, a man born from the seed of the word of truth, but not bearing the fruits of righteousness, is unable to be with him or follow him. In result, this person wastes or loses his salvation in God. Here, where Jesus said the word is given, God says that a person's received the guarantee of his salvation, but this person wants to follow Christ upon his own conditions instead of God's. Matthew 12, 30 through 32. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Summarizing the definition of the fruits of righteousness identified as the right hand of God and the right hand of man that God has obligated to uphold, we can conclude that the right hand of God is his word in the format of his revelation to the mystery of truth that abides within our heart. At the same time, the right hand of man is the fruit of righteousness that is the result of the collaboration of the revelation of the Holy Spirit and the truth that is contained within our heart. In other words, the right hand of God is the faith of God. Our right hand is obedience to that faith. When a person does not reveal obedience to the faith of God, then he does not have faith. And the Son of Man, when he will come and not find faith on earth, will he find faith on earth? Will he find obedience to his faith? Will he find those who are obedient to it? Those who have obedient to the faith of God. When you hear the word of God, this is the faith of God. And you show obedience to that word. Then in this way, you have. this shows that you have the right hand. And God then holds you by that right hand. The fruit of righteousness is the crown of life, which is the guarantee of our rapture that we are called to hold on to and what we need to pursue so that no one take our crown.
Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which came down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3:11 through 13. Second question, what arguments in Scripture confirm our election by God from the multitude of the call to salvation? The response to this question, identifying the fruit of our resurrection, are the parables of Christ that he concluded with the words, for many are called, but few are chosen. And here's one of them, where our election, election by God from the multitude of the call to salvation <coughs> requires us to be dressed in wedding clothes which is evidence of our righteousness and the fruits of the justice of God. Matthew 22, 2 through 14. <clears throat> In this parable we see, I will just try to explain it so I don't have to read it because we don't have time, when the uh, king had come to the feast, to the, to, the, to the banquet, those who were invited said they didn't want to come because I have my field, I have my own reasons, they had their own evangelism, their own opinion on how to worship God, but not the one that God had. And so when they were called to this banquet, but when there were, this truth, this teaching uh, is revealed, they didn't uh, receive that true uh, teaching of Christ. And so the kingdom said, call everybody else. Uh, the, call all that are in the streets and everyone else. And the king then came in and, to look, and he found a man without wedding clothes. It's for to God. It isn't important how what you look, what you look like, or who you are. But when you put on wedding clothes, you become, in essence, as He is. You may be leprous, you may be crippled, you may be humped or whatever it may be. But uh, but you but you with the wedding clothes, you are in His likeness. And so He found then a man there without wedding clothes, just like the el older son. Uh, of the parable of the lost son. Uh, he had his own friends. And so then he asked this man, how did you end up here? What are you doing here? This is not for you. This is the word that I'm giving now, the word that I'm giving now and preparing my children for rapture. This is for those who have garments of justification and not for those who have their own personal righteousness or personal opinions, those who break the order of God, those who go back to democracy that covers dictatorship people who mean nothing before God is what they say and so he entered in and said throw him out hand and foot bind him hand and foot and, and throw him outside and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen and the third question, by what signs written in Scripture can we determine that God's soul deli delights in us? If God will allow, in the future we will study these questions uh, as our time today is finished. And right now we will pray and worship the Lord and thank Him for that word that we heard today, that He gifted to us today. Possibly someone today has understood that God holds them by His right hand 
that he, you have this righteousness, that you hear the word and you don't reject it. The devil says, you sin here, you sin here, you sin here. You be, it doesn't import, isn't it is important what you've done. It's important when you hear the word that you agree with it, you accept it, and you begin to try to fulfill it, although it's not working and you're falling, but you stand up again and you keep trying. And the righteous keeps go, uh, rising up and doing it again. And why? Because God is holding you by your right hand. You have the right justification. You accept God's authority over yourself. You are in your own church, and God is holding you by his right hand. Let us bend our knees and pray, because holding you by your right hand, God will lead you also to healing. God will lead you to liberty, freedom from sin, from your fears. And may the Lord bless you in this prayer. We wait for you here at the altar, because this is where the Holy Spirit, only in the way that He Himself knows, uh, removes fear, delivers a person from dependence of sin, fear, sicknesses, poverty, Right now, I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you, and He wants to deliver you from that horror to take you out of that terrible situation you're in. As you are clinging to Him, you don't want to perish. You hold on to His right hand. You accept His commandments. You are attempting to again and again stand up and He is with you and for you. Lift your hands to God and close your eyes. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fear, with my sin, with my shame, with my dependence. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, Heal me. Protect me. I open up my heart. I accept your words, your eternal life, the Holy Spirit as my Lord. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May all these blessings come upon you and upon your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, Amen. And now, all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.